0: podcast of jetnation.com the largest independent fan site in the nfl be sure to check out our forums and talk all things jets with thousands of other diehard jets fans now to get you up to date on all the latest jets news notes and quotes here's your host glenn naughton
1: Good evening Jets fans, I am Glenn Naughton, this is Jet Nation Radio, thank you so much for tuning in tonight, today, this morning, whenever you may be downloading, streaming, listening, Uh, big episode tonight, we're going to cover, I mean, it feels like we've been waiting forever, the Jets are finally in position, or finally about to get, get underway with an off season that really couldn't have gotten here fast enough. Another miserable season under Todd Bowles, who is now gone. And finally, an opportunity for this team to, to get something going, to, to establish, a, to build a roster around a young quarterback. Finally, finally have a young quarterback. And it's time to start putting some pieces in place around him. So we're going to cover a little bit of free agency. We're going to cover our first mock draft. As I tend to say, we try to limit our mock drafts to uh, two per offseason. It's tempting to go crazy and do one every 10 days like so many other sites and analysts. But, you know, we find it it's, you're either going to get repetitive and keep, so, you know, projecting a lot of the same picks or making ridiculous projections just for the sake of making changes and getting clicks. And that's really not what we're here for. So we're going to cover a mock, we're going to talk some uh some Jets news. And we're also going to as I said, we're going to talk some free agency. We're going to talk about talks about uh about some high risk or sorry, low risk high reward free agents and um plenty to cover because it's exciting times folks. Finally, you know, after all this talk and there's been plenty of it this all this cap space and all these improvements this team can make. So we'll start off with uh, we'll start off with the well, actually check out FanDuel by the way. FanDuel they're sponsoring us today. FanDuel, some of the best online sports gambling you will find. Uh, log on to FanDuel.com. We they just do it. We just uh, we just partnered with them. FanDuel.com for all your online gambling needs. FanDuel sportsbook definitely worth your while if you want to place your bets. Any sports, you know, it's uh, we're we're here to talk football and anticipate football, but any of the majors, anything you're after, you'll find it on there. Check them out, FanDuel Sportsbook. So, free agency preview. I mean, let's just. I made a comment the other day. I, I keep thinking about this this Le'Veon Bell thing, and we're hearing rumors that. The Jets may not make a big push for Le'Veon Bell. That Mike Mcagnan might might go the route of a, a, a you know a Mark Ingram type, maybe a Tevin Coleman, something like that, which may happen. And those aren't bad players, but I just find it hard to believe that the Jets aren't going to make a major major push for Le'Veon Bell, because. And, and the way I said it the other day, and I strongly believe this: if if Mike Mcagnan is not making a major push for Le'Veon Bell than he is, for reasons that I cannot explain, feeling way too good about his job security. Because even as somebody who has largely supported Mike McKagan and the job he has done as Jets GM, I've, I've not said he's been perfect because he's been far from that, but he's made enough, up, enough upgrades, enough moves on this roster since taking over. And that's another thing we are going to talk about tonight, by the way. That I feel like the the poor record is more on the coaching than it has been on the talent, and I'll give you some examples as to why, but if you're Mike McCanan, I don't know how you can sit back and say yeah we we have an opportunity with a hundred million dollars to go out and get one of the most dynamic playmakers in the n f l for my young quarterback but i'm gonna I'm gonna sit back and i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot a little lower than that." We're gonna go after an Ingram or a Coleman and listen, if he does that, that's fine if they win. You know, if you go from the year they just had under Todd Bowles and you, you win seven, eight, nine games, knocking on the door of the playoffs, maybe you sneak in, then he's fine. Then it then it doesn't matter that he didn't leave him. And you have another bad season with a new coach you hand So I'm not saying I know for a fact That this is going to happen That there's going to be this big push Because again, depending on who you listen to There are some sources that say the Jets are not going to make a big push For Le'Veon Bell And if they don't And if Mike McKagan finds himself out of the job He's really got no one to blame but himself He really doesn't So you figure Le'Veon Bell has to be a target. Tevin Coleman might be. Ingram might be. Somewhere, someone in. Yeah, I mean it, they have to add a back, and you don't want to have to use a draft pick on a back. It's just too. There are too many other needs. You have all this money. So, some reports, and this is the thing. Everyone, you just wonder who's just, you know, flat out guessing. How do you get? How do you get two conflicting reports, both being reported by reputable sites, one saying the Jets aren't, you know, aren't going to make a, a big offer, and then another one saying the Jets are the heavy favorite to land him? And this is the frustrating thing. Like somebody's lying some, – somebody's – again, as I said, somebody's trying to get clicks. Somebody's saying stuff that they, they have no idea if it's true or not, or they know they're lying, one of the two just to get clicks. And that's garbage. That aggravates me. I understand these sites have to drive traffic and these writers have to generate traffic, but come on either. Don't write the damn story or, you know, be a little bit more speculative. Don't be so certain about yourself. You know, that's all I'm speculating. I'm looking at a guy, a GM who's the team under him as bad as the coaching has been. The results are what they are. They are poor. And if you want to turn it around in a hurry, the way you do that is going out and getting a Le'Veon Bell. Now, that doesn't mean that with an upgraded offensive line and some more weapons at receiver, that you can't that you can't win with a lesser back. With a guy who might cost you ten million a year or nine million a year instead of fourteen, fifteen million a year, which is what you would imagine Le'Veon Bell's looking for. So that brings us to the The offensive line and free agency. We've talked about it before. We've talked about Matt Paradis, the free agent from the Denver Broncos. He's got to be near the top of the list of priorities this offseason. There's no two ways about it. I mean, he's probably the best center on the market. And he's a guy who, you know, he was injured last year. But he's a good all-around player. He's not not a one-dimensional. He's not always... He can run block, but he can't pass block. He can pass block, but he can't run block. That's not the case at all with him. And he's a guy... I mean, it's really surprising. I've been saying for months that there's no way the Broncos are going to let a player who's that good, no way they're going to let him go. And it certainly looks like they are. Or they're going to let him test the market anyway. So do you, you know... Just adding him alone is, would be such a boost for this offense because, let's face it, the center position has been absolutely terrible for a couple of years now between Wesley Johnson. Spencer Long struggled last year. But listen, if you don't get Paradis, there's Mitch Morris. He's a little bit younger, probably better in pass protection. And to me, those are the two guys. It's got to be one of them. It's got to be Morse or Paradis snapping the ball next year to Sam Darnold, a veteran who can make the calls, who can keep your quarterback upright and, and finally get this offensive line heading in the right direction. Because, let's face it, it's been, you know, as much as I talked last year in the offseason about how the pass blocking would be better than expected, they still weren't very good. They were better than a lot of people told me they would be, 18th in the NFL in sack ratio. Everybody told me they were going to be bottom 3, bottom 5, 18th in the NFL, but the run blocking wasn't there. I mean there there's no getting around that. Now that now James Carpenter was a big reason for that. Right? So now Carpenter's on his way out. His deal, you know, his deal expires, he'll move on. So the Jets have to have to replace him. And let's face it, you know, he, he he was bad enough the last couple of years that they'd have a hard time doing a whole lot worse. And now, and you know, now there are some names on the market who could be quality options. One guy, and I'll be we'll covering later um, when we talk about some of the, excuse me. We talk about some of the, the, the bargain players. But Roger Saffold is the guy we've talked about. He's got to be a target. And there was a story on NFL Network. I think it actually, we confirmed it kind of during the show. Uh, somebody with NFL Network said that his expectation was the Jets were going to have a big offer ready for Saffold once he hit free agency. So if you do that, you've now got, if you get Paradis and Saffold, you can listen. Brian Winters is a guy you can upgrade, but you can you can get by with him for another year. I mean, by all means, bring somebody in to push him. Bring somebody in to see if you can, you know, get him to to raise his game to another level. Because let's face it, of course, you know, 2 years ago we he had the injuries. We gave him a pass. This past season, he was better but he's not a guy you look at and say we're absolutely set. There's no there's no reason to look at, at you know at someone to replace this guy. If you can find someone this offseason as a free agent or as a draft pick who you think can push him and take his job then by all means do it. But the two priorities have to be center and left guard. It's got to be one of those guys at center. And then you try to get Saffold at left guard. Now Left tackle, right tackle. We've talked about it's you know it's way overblown. That all oh, they have to replace Beecham, they have to replace Beecham. They don't have to replace Beecham. They can live for no, they can live for, with him for another year. There's no need to to freak out and and go out and have to replace. I mean, can you replace him? Absolutely. If let's say you trade down in the draft, for example. And you get a instead of you know instead of staying at three you drop the so with you know fifteen, and there's a left tackle on the board who you think would be an upgrade, yeah, you can live with that you can make that move, but I think the the you know especially with your early picks, use that on the the urgent the the must have spots you guys you gotta have do you go after Trent Brown in free agency that depends on whether or not you like what you see on film I for one. Not a huge fan of adding guys who play, you know, a year, one year with the Patriots where Tom Brady makes every throw in 1.2 seconds and your O-lineman comes out of it, you know, with a great grade. Oh, look, he, give up, he only give up so many sacks. He only this, that. Listen, you know, playing in New England for, the, for an O-lineman, there can't be an easier gig in the NFL because the that ball just comes out so fast. The, the work they put in. You know, it's it's not comparable to anyone else in the league. Some people have mentioned Juwan James. Don't see that happening. As I said, he he trashed Adam Gase when Gase left. His agent trashed Adam Gase. That wasn't a good situation for anybody. Uh, those two moves right there. Stafford, Paradis or Morse, and and the O line would be would be good. It'd be pretty good O line gonna throw a name out later with the with the with the low risk, high reward guys that could make it even better than that. Ronald Darby's an interesting one. He was hurt last year for the Eagles. He's reportedly going to want big money, but he's a he's a pretty damn good twenty-five year old corner. And if not for the injury, he probably wouldn't even be a free agent. But he is. So Ronald Darby, is he a guy you look at? I would have no problem with that at all. All the talk about receivers Golden Tate being the top guy on the market. Listen, Golden Tate, he's 31 years old. He's, a, you know, he's an above-average receiver. He's not a guy I would spend a bunch of money on. I'd rather see the Jets go out and get a Tyrell Williams, 27-year-old from the Chargers, or Adam Humphreys, 26-year-old from the Bucks, who could be your slot guy. Those would be the guys I would focus on. I've heard people say Funches, Devin Funches. I like Devin Funches, I like them out of Michigan. Good mismatch-type player. But I don't feel like he he would be the priority. I think the the focus needs to be on slot, and if it's you know and you know if it's going to be a slot guy, um one of the guys that I mentioned, and there, again there will be another name later that'll come up on the low risk high reward guys. That would that would that would fix your offensive line with the O lineman I named, and you'd have a, a much improved receiving core just by adding one of those guys. Just one of those receivers. I've, I've seen Cole Beasley's names men, name mentioned. Wouldn't hate that. Feel like he's a little overrated. Jamison Crowder. He's probably. I would slot him ahead of Beasley. I would slot him ahead of Funches. Humphreys. I would. I would probably take Humphreys over him. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't be against Crowder. He's a good player. Absolutely a possibility. No, re, you know tight ends that you see out there hitting free agency that, that really jump out at me as somebody that, that should be a, a high priority Jared Cook's a good player. he's 32 how much money is he going to command because the Jets, you know and we'll talk about this when we do the mock, we'll talk about this with some of the other free agents, as as good a year as Chris Herndon had, and he absolutely did you kind of look at it and say you know is there would there be anything wrong with going out and getting another tight end you know, especially, especially, in you know, today's NFL, like there's nothing wrong with having an extra weapon, an extra body out there to create mismatches with. So, but is Jared Cook that guy? I don't think so. Good, good player, good vet, you know, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I don't know that he'll be the guy. If they are going to bring in another tight end. Running backs we talked about. Le'Veon Bell's got to be the top target. He absolutely has to be. If they go for Tevin Coleman, not the end of the world. Twenty-six year old back, explosive player, can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's basically Le'Veon Bell light. He's nowhere near his league, but he can do a lot of things Bell can do. He just can't. He just can't do as well as Bell can. And on the defensive side, another name: Trey Flowers. He's intriguing, I, and I'm going to be honest. I haven't watched enough of this guy to say if I would want this team to pay him $17 million a year. But people who get paid to analyze this game seem to think that's what he's going to get and that that's what he's worth. He's not a double-digit sack guy, but New England deploys so many different packages that he's, you know, apparently does a lot of things really well. And somebody's going to give them a bunch of money. Will it be the Jets? We'll have to wait and see on that because, they, you know, they need to they need to add some bodies to that front seven. And that brings me to um, something I mentioned that we talk about a little bit in the Jets signing some of their own free agents. And I really would feel a lot better about things if they would get Henry Anderson locked up now. Get Henry Anderson locked up, and that's one less hole. That's a guy who you know played well for you last year. And he's not alone. You know, there's a couple guys, Henry Anderson being one of them. Morris Claiborne is another guy. Pretty sure we talked about some of these guys, you know, a little over a month ago. In terms of, you know, Jets' own players they should retain, but we're just going to touch on these again real quick. Morris Claiborne, solid, unspectacular. Not a great corner, not terrible. And, you know, that's not the most ringing endorsement. But as I've said before, you look at what's going on around the league right now and the number of quarterbacks who are just going out and just throwing for, you know, 4,000-plus yards every year. And this is a different league now. Everybody gets beat. Everybody gets burned. Everybody gives up plays. It happens. It it happens. If you're going to if you're going to sit around and insist that your team only acquire amazing cornerbacks, well, there are only a few in the league anyway. So having a solid, you know, day-to-day guy who, again, he's got the health issues, but Morris Claiborne has been largely healthy with the Jets. He's only missed a couple games. He's played a couple games nicked up, but a lot of guys do. That's not a big deal. So Claiborne's been, he's been a solid, reliable player. And when you're talking about a corner, there's value in that because there's, it, there, there's just not a lot of them in the league right now, Well not enough of them. <laughs> what I should say, there are enough of them, but they have skewed the rules in such a way that they've been negated. Some of their skills have been negated, and you're seeing good corners struggle frequently because of that. Some lower-end guys, um, some backup types, Qualy and Dozier. I'm sure I touched on this, you know, when we talked about it, as I said, uh, you know, a month or so ago, these are guys who aren't phenomenal players, but they are solid, they're backup level players. And if you look around the league, starting offensive lines are atrocious, let alone the backups. You know, Quale and Dozier have started enough games, they've had enough reps that you can look at them and say, all right, this is a, this is a guy we can plug in for a few weeks if somebody gets dinged up. They're just decent pros, and there's nothing wrong with having those guys on your roster. You could do a lot worse in terms of your your number two lineman, your, your your backup guard, backup tackle type. A guy on the bubble that we've talked about, and I'm still on the bubble with him. And fans get mad, and they every time I mention him on Twitter or something like that, people get upset with me. Um, but listen, folks, Jermaine Curse. I I think that the year he had last season could end up being a blessing because if he had played the way he did last year, or the year before, rather, he'd be in a position to to command a lot of money. But as we learned after the season, he and Quincy Nunwa were miserable in Jeremy Bates' offense. He was an afterthought. He wasn't getting targeted for much of the first, what, 10, 11, 12 games of the year. felt like he wasn't being targeted at all. And he he did the wrong thing. He started to lose focus. Not ideal. Not really what you're looking for in a player. But, I mean, let's, let's face it. These guys are human. Your season's getting away from you. You know you're not making the playoffs. And you know you're getting two targets a week from the offensive coordinator play calling. He got lackadaisical. You can use that against him and say, look, man, we don't know what we're getting with you. So instead of the 7 $8, 9000000 we would have had to give you if you played like you did two years ago, we'll give you a $2, 3000000 you know, two-year, two two-year $6 million deal. Low guarantees. And if somebody beats him out in camp, you cut him. And if he comes in and plays his ass off like he did two years ago, and the offensive coordinator doesn't treat him like he's got the, the plague, he's reengaged. And he's interested in playing hard again and being effective. By all reports, he was a great mentor, Sam Darnold. If I'm not mistaken, they they next to other. saw the development of Russell Wilson and referenced that a bit in conversations with Darnold. So that that's actually, if I'm the Jets, that's part of what I would say. I would, I would you know, I'm not letting... Uh, I'm not letting... Not letting him make, make a not letting Sam Darnold make a decision. I would say, you know, Sam, what what do you think about what do you think about Jermaine Kearse? Is he a guy that you want in the huddle? If Darnold says, "Look, man, I learned a lot from him. He helped me out a lot. Uh, let's bring him back," then then why not? What's the harm? Again, on the, people sometimes the teams confuse. You know, when you say bring a player back or let's sign this free agent, or let's sign that free agent. People treat every hypothetical like you're saying, let's give this dude $15 million a year guaranteed for the next 10 years. Like, there are ways, and this, is, this will be kind of the theme when we talk about the, the low-risk guys later, that there's nothing wrong with bringing a guy in who has shown he can play on a deal... That allows you to cut ties if it's not working out without any cap impact or minimal cap impact. When I say sign, you know, for example, with the low-impact guys, one one of the guys, Tyler Eifert is one of the guys I, uh, that's going to be on that list. I'm not saying let's make Tyler Eifert the highest-paid tight end in the NFL, but people react like that sometimes. Oh, my God, I can't believe you're saying you should bring this guy in. Really? You can't believe that I'm saying some guy who scored 12 touchdowns a couple of years ago at tight end, you can't believe I'm suggesting you bring him into camp and see if he's healthy and he can play? What what world are you living in? Pro All pros and pro bowlers need apply only? No role players, no solid quality guys. We, we don't want any of those. It's either you're a pro bowler or you're... Or, or, or you, you're not allowed on this team? I mean, it, you know, I say it all the time. It's not Madden. you got to find 53 guys. You're not going to have 53 all pros. you get as many good players as you can, and sometimes that means bringing guys in with question marks who have shown at times they have the ability to play, and you determine whether or not they've done enough to stick on your roster and see what they can do. I don't get the uh the the reactions the, the some of the over the top reactions from suggesting you bring in a a player who might be able to contribute for a small price and a limited role and an opportunity really to earn a bigger role. So anyway, back to the uh we'll get back on topic here. That one just uh hang on one second. Back on topic, look at a guy like Clive Walford. He's the last of the guys I'm going to include here. For Jets players, they should be working to retain Um, for that reason. Again, he's he's a guy who spent a couple years in Oakland, played fairly well, wasn't great, but backup level player. He can block a little bit. He can catch the ball. Had a damn good camp last year. They just the Jets just had a lot of depth at that spot. You just felt like he was the the odd man out because he's probably the older guy in the group. They brought him back late in the year, and he'll uh, he'll hit free agency. So it's you know it becomes a situation where, why not have the guy come back into camp and see what he can do? If he wins the spot, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Rosters are going to be at ninety. Every team is going to carry guys that, you know that's another thing I see I hear from people when the rosters expand. Why did we add this guy? Why did we add that guy? Why do we? Have, because the rosters go to 90. Every team's got 37 guys in camp who aren't going to make their roster. If Walford's one of them, so be it. but if I'm the Jets, I absolutely bring them in for another look. And we're going to go to the phones right now. We have one caller on the line caller You're on your A3, queue, man. Radio.
0: Guys, talk about R. Kelly. We'll see if this guy has anything to say. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Please hold, and you will be able to listen to the show.
1: I've right, oh. called him before.
0: Um, you know, I, I, okay. really, man,
1: I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I listen to you a lot of your callers, so I, you know, I, I love the channel. Like I said, you, you're a yeah. solid dude, so I appreciate the time. But you know, we can agree to disagree on a lot of the situation as far as what's right
0: or wrong, because. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, no matter what the, what went on in the past, you know, if you if you if yeah. you learn to do, uh, evolve and you and you approach yeah. this, you know, age di- age difference
1: is wrong. You know, guys yeah, are, uh, yeah. having manipulating young girls, <clears throat> that is a wrong situation. You know, even though yeah. it went on for centuries, doesn't oh. make it right. <clears throat> even though it goes on. I, the- I have no idea what that was. I'm not gonna lie to you. That was a that just popped up as a caller, and I think that dude called into the wrong show. So anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Fairly bizarre. So those are the in-house guys the Jets should be targeting. I, you know, I was hoping they'd get them wrapped up before free agency even started. Hasn't happened with any of them. And one more name I did want to throw out there in terms of free agency, who the Jets are, there is some rumored interest, and it would make a ton of sense. And another guy where there's some rumored interest, and it would make no sense. Uh, first, the guy that would make no sense, Dante Fowler. Okay, we've talked about this. He's been talked about for a couple of years now as a possibility with the Jets. Mike McCagnon loves him. Jets wanted to draft him. He went to the Jaguars. And I I, I got it. At, I mean, he he was a highly touted guy. I liked him coming out. But he didn't do a lot with the Jaguars. And you think, well, maybe, you know, maybe, what, what are they doing there with him? I'm not watching them every week, but are they, they have him in the wrong role. And then he gets traded to the Rams. And you look at what they have there. Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue up front to take up the blockers. And you just think, okay, well, now Dante Fowler is just going to go off. Like, now you're going to see him in his full potential. And you're going to see him in a, in a defense where he's probably rarely going to see a double team. And he, he didn't do that much. Dante Fowler, he's got 16 career sacks in 40-some games. I'm pretty sure... I'm, I'm pretty confident Brandon Copeland can do that. Brandon Copeland had, what, five and a half this year in 16 games? Multiply that out, that that's about what you would get with Dante Fowler. You you, you couple that with the, the fact he's supposedly going to want a ton of money and the character issues? Got in trouble for punching a homeless guy? I'm, I just don't see it. I don't see it. If if he had played the whole time with one team and not produced, you could kind of hang your hat on. Well, maybe just the uh, the scheme. Maybe that didn't fit. Maybe whatever. He played for two different teams and two great. I mean, two front sevens with a ton of talent, where he wasn't the focal point of the defense, and he was he wasn't a starter. A lot of the time, he was a pass rush specialist, and he had 17 sacks in, in 40 some games. That to me. Character issues with that production plus a big price tag? No way. I just, I don't see it. That doesn't make any sense to me. And I hope that whoever is reporting it is is 100% wrong. Because it just, it doesn't add up. Too many, too many questions there for a guy with that much talent who's done so little. Um, The guy who would make sense, Bryce Callahan, Chicago Bears. A corner. He'll play some slot. Um, good old. I mean, that secondary Chicago's had for the last few years has been really good, and he's been a big part of that. Uh, some some really good players, some really good DBs, safeties, corners. They they can play all you know across the board. And Callahan's another one who uh, I, you know, I think a couple of years ago the Bears had a lot of those guys that were due to hit free agency, and it was a matter of who would stay and who would go. And it looks like Callahan's going to be the one who's going to be allowed to go. They didn't re-sign him. And uh, he's, again, a rumored target for the Jets. That move would make a ton of sense. It would certainly make a lot more sense than bringing Buster Screen back, which is something Daryl Slater wrote the other day, which I could not believe that there is mutual interest from the Jets and, and Screen's camp. Um, nothing, you know, they haven't met, they haven't talked extensively, but it's believed there is mutual interest. And that I, if, if they bring Buster Screen back, I mean, that is, that is, Very bad news for Parry Nickerson. I mean, very, very bad news for Mike McCagnan. If you can't find a better player than that, I mean, geez, that's just no way. Absolutely not. That that makes no sense. But it's it's being reported. We will see if it comes to fruition. Now, I've mentioned a couple times this, this this list we put together low risk, high reward guys, not a ton, five or six guys, but guys that you might be able to get for a, you know, small price tag who could have a big impact. First guy on the list, a uh, player that I really like, and I, I, I'm hoping there's a chance there because there is an Adam Gase connection and that's um, former Dolphins guard, Josh Sitton. Uh, now Sitton was a free agent last off season when Gase had control of the Dolphins roster and they signed him to a two year deal he had a season-ending injury early. Basically, I think he played preseason or maybe week one. But he basically missed all of last year. Josh Sitton. A little older at 32, but that's not, you know, for a guard. People say, I hear that too from people. How can you suggest we sign this 32-year-old player? Because he's not a running back? I mean, guards, D-linemen, these guys, they play well into the, you know, 33, 34, 35. It's not uncommon. And again, as I said earlier, suggesting they sign a player is not suggesting $15 million a year. You can probably get this guy for pretty cheap. I'd say, again, a two-year deal, just like he got with Miami last year. But Sitton's a guy who I, I really wanted to see them bring in. I looked I looked him up. I remembered him being, you know, reviewed as a, a good all-around player. And he... uh I looked at his numbers on on Pro Football Focus, and other than when went, other than being injured last year, he never ha- he's never had a pro season where he graded out below seventy seven overall. with 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 quality pass and rush block uh, run blocking grades. So his worst grade ever was seventy seven, and Brian Winter's best grade ever is seventy one. So Brian Winter's at his absolute best has been worse than Josh Sitton at his absolute worst. So when I mentioned earlier someone to come in and push Winters, a guy like Sitton who you can probably get in on a cheap deal and he's got a great track record, kind of reminds me of the Willie Colon situation when the Jets brought him in. You know, veteran guy, eight, nine years under his belt. And then he gives you three, four years of quality play. And I think you could see that with Josh Sitton. And again, I hope... Because of the Adam Gase connection, I hope he comes in. And the next guy, I'm going to list, having mentioned earlier, the need for a slot receiver. And, you know, we see this in the league sometimes. We see players that excel in one spot and then, you know, with one team, and then they go elsewhere and struggle. And fans just kind of write them off because they they forget about them. Oh, he he can't play. He's had a couple bad years. Well, look, sometimes good players go to bad situations. I think Jordan Matthews is a good player, not a great player. And that's why I would look at him for the slot. Wide receiver Jordan Matthews. He's played with the Eagles. He played with the Bills. He was an afterthought with them, wasn't utilized. But here's a guy in his first three seasons as a pro in Philadelphia. He had 2,600 yards and 19 touchdowns. In three years. I mean, that's pretty damn good. What's a quality number? If he's your third or fourth receiver, then there's no reason you don't bring a guy like that in. And I hear from people, oh, look what he did with Buffalo. He sucked. Okay, fair point. Look what he did with Philly. He was pretty damn good. So, do we just assume that there's no way he can play because he didn't play well in Buffalo? Perhaps Buffalo didn't play to his strengths. Maybe they were using him on the perimeter more. I don't know if they were, or if they were using him on the boundary, uh, lining him out, up outside on the boundary. Because, as I mentioned before, I, you know, I spent some time in Philly during Jordan Matthews' first couple of years, so I saw a fair bit of Eagles football. And he did his best work in the slot. So, for a team that needs a slot guy... And a player who's proven he can play in the league and will probably come at a cheap price, Jordan Matthews, Absolutely, 2,600 yards, 19 touchdowns in three years. Not everybody has to be, uh, you know, not, every, not everybody you pursue has to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, it's one of those things where you're talking about a vet player, probably get him at a bargain, and might be a big-time contributor. Tyler Eifert's up next. I mentioned him. Maybe to pair do you pair him with Chris Herndon, give him an opportunity to show he's healthy, he's had the bad ankle, he's had the back injury. He's a guy, yeah, and someone said it to me, and they might be right. Maybe this guy might be in a position where he should be retiring. Um, well, let him decide that. If Tyler Eifert feels like he's healthy, and you bring him in, and he plays like he's healthy, and you're getting a guy who, you know, he's been hurt more than he's been healthy, but if you, you know, if you get him healthy, Limit is reps, and you look at the fact that 2015, twenty sixteen he had a total of eighteen touchdowns, just over a thousand yards and eighteen scores in two years, six foot six tight end. you're going to tell me you don't want that as your number two tight end i i i don't see I don't see why you wouldn't want that. another guy, another name, and this again is i i I probably should have left running backs off the list to be honest. Because if they if the Jets do this the right way, and they go get Le'Veon Bell, there's probably not a great need to add another back. If you're going to go Le'Veon Bell as your number one, he's going to be your workhorse. Eli McGuire, Adam Gay spoke very highly of him at his press conference. So I get the feeling he's going to be around. Trenton Cannon, as I've mentioned before, he's probably a special teamer for the next year or two. I hope he's a special teamer for the next year or two. Mix in some reps, but I think he's got some tools that make him a player worth working with. But Abdullah, Amir Abdullah, from the from the uh, former Detroit Lions. Well, he's drafted by the Lions. Second-round pick out of Nebraska a couple of years ago. He did a really nice job. Or you know, I, I should say, he, he's been he's been hot and cold. He's at he's at his moments where he looks like a great player. He had some fumble issues early on in his career, but again, what we're talking we're literally talking camp body. Nobody is saying the Jets should sign Amir Abdullah, and then that way they don't need Le'Veon Bell and they can handle the number one job, because that's what people hear when you say they should pursue somebody. Amir Abdullah is a guy I would bring in, kick the tires, if he's healthy, if he's if he's if he's moving well. Then you bring him in as a a body in camp, low price tag, as a guy who can play a little bit. And the last one, and even I struggle with this, I went back and forth with this one, put me over the top, was when I saw that the Atlanta Falcons signed Matt Schaub to be their backup quarterback. I think they gave him a two-year deal. Matt Schaub hasn't been good in about eight years. Like, he's one of those guys, you hear his name once a year for, like, coming off the bench and throwing a pick or whatever. And you go, oh, my God, that guy's still in the NFL? Like, you forget he's in the league. So, if Matt Schaub is good enough to be a backup somewhere, I would, I would certainly be more than happy to bring in somebody like Tyrod Taylor to back up Sam Darnold. Oh, my someone told me on Twitter, Tyrod Taylor sucks. Backups have a better resume than Tyrod Taylor. Seriously, the guy was in the playoffs two years ago. He's still plenty young. He's got a cannon for an arm. He can move well. High completion percentage. Great touchdown-interception ratio. So I I would, you know, I don't have all 32 backups in front of me right now, but I would say in terms of just straight, just your resume of what you've done, especially what you've done in the last five, six years, Tyrod Taylor is probably a top four or five backup quarterback. Now, if McCown wants to come back, does that complicate things? Maybe a little bit. We'll see. What he, I think McCown will want to come back because why the hell not? He's ba- he'll basically be a coach. And they're going to wait. You know, the Jets are going to wait on him. And, you know, he'll carry a clipboard. He can't make anywhere near $10 million. You want to come back, Josh? We're glad to have you. But, you know, hope you're willing to do it at league minimum. Because you know, year one absolutely helped Darnold with that transition. I get it. But now it's gotta be, you know, maybe not million, what, two million, three million a year? Tops. Absolute tops. Three million a year. News also, uh I mean it's really it was such a, a blur that it's it's hardly worth mentioning. But I'll talk about it briefly. The Jets um which reported a little while ago, have pulled themselves out of the Antonio Brown sweepstakes. And that's a great move. I would venture to guess that the interest was based, was, you know, uh, due diligence, as they say. Probably the Jets call in to say, hey, what is the asking price for this guy? And then the Steelers say, we well, want XYZ. And the Jets say, all right, take care. And that's it. That's all it should have been. This guy is in the middle of a mental breakdown. He's saying and doing crazy th- He's reminding me right now, this was my thought, and I talked to someone about it earlier. They said the same exact thing. They said this, this could be another T.O. situation. This guy will be working out in his driveway by week nine, doing crunches on his phone to his agent, not with the team. Like, I could see that happening with, with the way this guy's acting right now. And, and you, know, you know what happened? This is the funny, this is the hypocritical thing. I guarantee you, everybody's saying... Sign this guy now. Sign him. Oh, we gotta go get him. Go make the trade. Best receiver in the NFL. Go get him. Every one of those people, when he's when he's doing his crunches in his driveway, week seven or eight, those same people would be like, "This is why you gotta fire McCagnon. You we saw this coming from a mile away. We heard this, We heard the crazy things he was saying on TV. How did you not know? You don't have to be a psychologist to know this guy was going crazy." Why in the world would you give him that deal? Stupid, man! What a dumb move, McKagan. Same people would be saying that. That's exactly what they'd be saying. Maybe not in that exact voice. But yeah, Mike McKagan trying to save his job. I don't see him going out and getting a guy who's, who's acting as erratic and crazy as Antonio Brown is right now. To go on TV and say, anyone who wants to sign me is going to have to do it my way and I don't need football. I can stop playing now if I want to. Does that sound like a guy who who you want on your roster, you know, hi, Sam, I'm Antonio Brown. Just to let you know, I might not be here very long because I don't need this. Fantastic. And it probably won't happen. I get it. It's unlikely. He'll probably, he'll probably get traded somewhere and he'll probably go on and have a great, you know, four or five years, the rest of his career. And, you know, people can look back and say, oh, you're an idiot. You said he was going to pull a T.O. I, I'm saying it's it's more likely he would pull a T.O than any other player you could acquire at this point. Odds are he'll get traded, he'll play fine, he'll be great, whatever. But that's not something I don't think the Jets should be willing to risk right now. And they clearly are not. As, again, the Jets are out of the Antonio Brown sweepstakes. They were reportedly in it for about 10 minutes. And they have moved on. Good for them. I applaud them. So, moving swiftly along. Let's get into this. Our first of two mock drafts this season. And even, uh, I'll tell you what, it's the Jets, It's this is an interesting spot to be in, okay? Jets are sitting at three. There are, by all accounts, three elite talents in this class. And I actually, who was it earlier today? I forget, Matt Miller, Daniel Jeremiah, someone along those lines. Maybe it was McShay, Todd McShay. He kind of said that it's a two. It's a two-player draft in terms of elite. Two guys that you look at and say, those two players will be perennial pro bowlers. And those two guys are Nick Bosa, Ohio State, and Quinnen Williams out of Alabama. Josh Allen, he said, would be sort of at his own tier just below them. So still a great player, potentially, All this, you know potentially for all these guys. But he says Williams and Bosa are on their own level. All this talk out of the combine, after the combine, that the Arizona Cardinals... And it's looking real, folks. I mean, it's looking legit that the Arizona Cardinals are going to try to move Josh Rosen so they can draft Kyler Murray, which is crazy. That'll be the first time. I've never seen this before. Uh, I saw a blurb the other day. The last time a team drafted a quarterback in the first round and then traded him and drafted a quarterback again the next year in the first round was the uh, the Colts with Elway when Elway then, of course, demanded to not play for the Colts and held out and said he was going to play for the Yankees and blah, blah, blah. So that's, a, that's how often that happens. That that would have been in the early 80s. I know from me personally, I started watching football in about 87. So that was before I was I was watching. But that, so this will be a first for me. NFL team drafts quarterback in round one. Following off season trades him, drafts a quarterback in round one. Crazy, and it might work. You know, the Redskins might be a target. They're supposedly interested. They're sitting at about fifteen. Maybe the uh, the the Cardinals get themselves some more first round picks, or another first round pick. We'll see. But anyway, so for the Jets, if the rumors are true, and that's that's all you need really. You just need one one team to trade up to push one of those two elite guys down to the Jets, Bosa or Williams. For me, I think Bosa goes two, and that's that's going to leave Quentin and Williams. And th- this is coming from a guy who said I've been saying for weeks, for months, you know, don't overthink the draft. Priority one trade down priority to Josh Allen in that order. But the more I'm thinking about it, if I'm the Jets, if you want me to trade down, you're gonna have to give me a lot. Almost almost unreasonably a lot. And you know, I mean some people have been saying that all along, but that's because people just <laughs> people are greedy and they just want a hundred picks for every move. But if I'm the Jets, I'm gonna say, look, we like Quentin Williams a whole lot. And we love the idea of having him be a guy who can collapse the pocket for us next to Leonard Williams for the foreseeable long-term and long-term future. So if you want us to give that up, if you want us to give a, a shot of a guy who could be a, a Warren Sapp type, a Hall of Fame type player, if you want us to not have him on our roster, you're going to have to give us a lot. And maybe some team will. And if they do, that's great. And then the Jets add a bunch of picks. So I'll tell you what, when you do a mock with the number of picks they have, boy, you really do sit down and go, they don't have a lot of picks. They need more picks. But my preference, honestly, at this point, would be Quentin Williams at number at, with your first pick at number three and then trade down in some other spots. Maybe you trade down one of, you, in one of your thirds and you add a fourth and a fifth, something like that. Add, add more picks, but add them later. And take Quinnen Williams. So am I saying don't trade down? No. I'm saying m- make it known that the pick is available. But make it known that you're going to have to pay dearly. You know, not quite quarterback price tag. But, you know, one or two picks isn't going to get it done. You know, especially depending on how far down you're moving. So Quentin Williams is the guy I'm penciling in for the third overall pick. He's a guy who, and and part of this too, even having said the Josh Allen thing, you look at what the Rams were able to do with Aaron Donald. And you just, you kind of remember that, you know, as I mentioned earlier with Tom Brady and, you know, the great quarterbacks and all these new offenses, the ball is coming out in under two seconds consistently. Great edge rushers, a lot of times in these big games, they just get negated. It's like they're not there. I mean, the best edge rusher, I mean, someone's going to get in his way. He's going to take, you know, 1.8 seconds to get to the quarterback. Problem is the damn ball is coming out in 1.5. So you you have a lot of very talented edge rushers not getting to the quarterback. Now, if you can collapse the pocket up front, and then that moves the quarterback off his spot, now those edge guys have a little more time. And you make those edge edge players a little better. By the way, quick sidetrack. Meant to add this guy on the free agent list because he's not a free agent yet. Justin Houston, Kansas City Chiefs. A lot of injury history, I get it. But you're not going to pay him the $20 million he's, he's due to make now. You'll get him for less than that. And even with the injuries and the missteps, the misnaps, he still had nine sacks last year. So I would say if you could bring a guy in like that, put him opposite Jordan Jenkins... And add Quentin Williams up and Quentin Williams and Leonard Williams collapsing the pocket. You know, especially in your nickel package or, you know, uh, passing. So now, maybe Justin Houston becomes a 10-12 a, a sack guy. Maybe Jordan Jenkins goes from 7 to 9 or 10 sacks. Because collapsing that pocket and making that quarterback either take his eyes off his receivers or even if he keeps them downfield, if he's got to move and buy time. Now that gives your edge guys more time to get there. So I like the idea of Quentin Williams, and I like the idea of adding Justin, Justin Houston. So Quentin Williams goes in round one. And, you know, I want to, this draft is largely, from this point on, is going to be about helping Sam Darnold because he needs it. So round three with the 68th overall pick. I'm taking J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford. He's six foot two. Great, strong, strong hands from the games I was able to watch him in. He averaged 16.4 a reception. He can make some big plays. Good red zone target, 14 touchdowns in his final season at Stanford. Right now, I've found him in a couple mocks projected in this range. I think Matt Miller had him going the pick after this, actually. If I'm not mistaken, Matt Miller had him going... 69th. 69th. Um, but I, I liked him as a guy that if he's there, I would like the Jets to snag him. You give Darnold a young target. Round three, 93rd overall. This is another one. This is a player who I view myself, honestly, I see him as a second rounder. Mid-late second rounder. Um, but I've seen a couple sites. I've seen some list him as a, as a second. and I've seen a couple sites list him as a fourth, like early, early fourth. But uh if he's there in round three for the Jets, Michael Deiter from Wisconsin, guard center. Uh he's that guy that could replace Brian Winters if it's not a guy like that. well hell, even if it is sitting for a year, maybe two. Dieter gets some reps at guard, center, wherever, but he's a mauler, big dude. He's got uh, he's got that mean streak that you want in a lineman. Doesn't miss reps. Just a really good player. Who, again, depending on which mock you believe, he may not be there. And what he does at pro days, we'll see. But he's a guy I really like. Those Wisconsin linemen, so many of them are worth taking. But I would take him at uh with the third or in the third round with that second third round pick. Round four, I'm getting Sam Darnold another receiver. This time I'm getting him a speedster. We're gonna go with Terry McLaurin from Ohio State. Ran a sub 4-4. He's a 20-yard-per-catch guy. He's, he's got a similar resume to Devin Smith, except you're not using a second-rounder on him. And he doesn't have the, hopefully, not as brittle as Devin Smith. But a big, you know, big play receiver. Like I said, 20 yards a catch. Not a, not a huge target at six feet tall. But, you know, as much as I've said this Jets' receiving core is better than they get credit for, there is some obviously some validity. It, it's it's not out of the question to say there will be concerns with Robbie Anderson and his off-field conduct. There will be concerns with Quincy and and his injury history. There will always you know they they have good talented young guys, but these aren't guys you can go into and say we're getting 16 games out of them every year, or even 14 games out of them every year. So they do still have to address the receiver position. After that, I'm getting Sam Darnold another target. And this, and this, of course, folks, as I said, remember my comments earlier about free agency. I put a blurb in this article that uh, after writing it, setting it up to publish, I, I added another piece in that I didn't click save. So the original article went out without mentioning that my expectation is that the O-line gets fixed through free agency people, why aren't you taking a tackle? Why only one guard? Da da da. Because I'm 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 doing what I'm saying. You do this this year and next year, left tackle is your number one priority. If you do it this way, you get the gu- you get maybe two guards in free agency, maybe Saffold and Sitton and Paradis or Morsch, and there's your interior. And you live with Shell and and well, Shell for maybe a few more years, but Beach Beecham for another year. Left tackle's priority one next year. Just wanted to throw that out there. Because I know people, who, anyone who's only listening to this portion might say, oh, you're saying they're helping Darnold. That nobody's blocking for him. How are you helping him on the O-line? So that's going to be through free agency and, and through drafting Dieter. Okay, but I'm getting him another target in round five. Jay Sternberger, Texas A&M tight end, six foot five. Another big guy running down the seam, another good blocker. Not great, but good. So give me another guy like that, another guy who can do what Chris Herndon can do. You put them both out there at the same time and create some mismatches. Give Sam Donald some big guys in the middle of the field who can catch the football and who don't have to come off the field when it's a when it's a when it's a uh, a run play, run block, pass block, and get it done. And the final pick. And honestly, I thought about this afterwards, and I thought I, I should have gone a different direction. Not that I don't like the player, but the position. Just because, you know, I like John Kaminsky a lot from Charleston, the D lineman. Great motor, moves really well for a big guy. Um, he had a strong combine, so he might move up. We had, I kind of penciled these guys in before the combine. Was hoping to publish this before that. Didn't happen. But Kaminsky had a really good combine, so he he'll probably move up and he won't be there. Which is all you know? Honestly, this should be seventh round pick. This should be a developmental, maybe maybe a developmental offensive tackle here. Maybe some linebacker depth, but D line probably wasn't the best choice. Um, that was that was the one prediction I, I regretted soon after publishing and went, "Ah, oh, probably going D line in round one." Took Nathan Shepard last year. He still got Leo. You know there'll be guys in free agency. So if I had to pick one that I would do over already, that would be the one. But it's up on JetNation.com, so we're, we're going to stick with that for now. Like I said, there will be a mock ver- mock draft version 2.0, and we'll generally put that out a few days before the draft when more information comes in on more players. So that draft, that mock would give the Jets. A very quick recap here: Quinnen Williams out of Alabama at three, Arcega Whiteside at 68 out of Stanford wide receiver, guard central Michael Dieter out of Wisconsin with the 93rd pick, with a 105th pick, Tariq McLaurin out of Ohio State wide receiver. Round five, 140th pick, Jay Sternberger out of Texas A&M tight end. No sixth rounder that went to New Orleans in the Teddy Bridgewater deal, and then in round seven, John Kaminsky. Out of Charleston. And Charleston, by the way, um, quick non-football note. If you haven't been to Charleston, South Carolina, you need to get to Charleston, South Carolina. That is undeniable. That one of the most underrated cities in America. Absolutely love me in Charleston, South Carolina. used to drive up there all the time when I was uh, living in Florida many years ago. So check that out when you get a chance. So the next thing I wanted to touch on, this was, uh, it's 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 important only because one thing, this is kind of, and it's going to be a recap of an article that I wrote. But one thing I've heard said many, many times about the job Mike McCagnin has done since coming to the Jets. I can't believe how many people I've heard say Come on, man. Be honest, Glenn. Is this is this roster really much better than when Mike McGagnon took over after 4 years? Is it really better with the exception of one or two spots? And every time I would hear it, I would be like, "Have you forgotten the roster that that was that Mike McGagnon took over?" I mean, it's unbelievable to me that people think this roster has only improved in a couple of spots. So we're going to do a quick rundown. Take five, ten minutes. And this, this folks, this is with 39 guys on the roster right now. Like, they're going to add to this. So the roster as it stands right now, let's go position by position. Because I think anyone who's saying this, anyone who's saying this team is not Talent-wise, now the wins aren't there, which I put on the coaching. As I mentioned earlier, and don't come at me and say, oh, okay, dude, so they'd be in the Super Bowl if they didn't have Todd Bowles. Because nobody's saying that. If they didn't have Todd Bowles, they would have been a, again, they would have won somewhere between seven and, seven and nine games. Let's just say eight. They, would, they blew four games in the fourth quarter where they had the lead with five minutes to go. This isn't a team without talent. So let's so so let's just let, let's just break this down because I'm gonna try to get through this fairly quickly. Unless like, I go on a rant because I can't believe people say this idiotic stuff. All right, quarterback Mike Mcagnon inherited Geno Smith. He's now got Sam Donald. As a result of trading up from six to three last year and drafting arguably the best quarterback in the draft. And that that'll that that should be the end of the discussion. In all honesty, if you want to talk about the job these two guys have done, that that you, you can end the conversation right there and say, well, there you go, Mac wins. And I, I I get that Isaac was atrocious, and it's no great accomplishment to be better than John Isaac. But the point I'm making is that I think people have forgotten how bad the roster was that was inherited. I mean, even I'd forgotten even having the thought in my mind that they were that much worse. And then I sit down to do this and I'm like, Oh my God, it's, it was so much worse than I remembered. So again, you inherited Geno Smith. A couple years later, you've got Sam Donald. Enough said running back inherited Chris Ivory, Chris Johnson, they weren't a bad tandem. And right now, you've got Isaiah Crowell, Eli McGuire, Trenton Cannon. Um, neither group is great. Ivory was an injury-prone guy. Chris Johnson was at the end of his career. Isaiah Crowell's been a much better player when he had decent blocks. We'll call that a wash. Even if, you know what? We'll be generous and, and, and give say those backs were better. McKagan inherited better backs. But, as I said, free agency's coming. You had Le'Veon Bell. Obviously, well, hell, you had, you had Mark Ingram. There's a lot of guys you can add that would, that would change, change that balance. But we'll say the backs are even. So then your number one receiver back then was Eric Decker, who came to the Jets with a reputation as a guy who got nicked up and injured from time to time. He had one good year, and then he got nicked up and injured. So he was, uh, you know, in terms of long-term prognosis, like the, the the health of the 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 outlook for the position itself, I'd be much happier with Robbie Anderson than Eric Decker. Could Eric Decker run better routes? Yeah, he could. But who's who's the more explosive player? Who's the guy who changes what defenses have to do when they line up? Who's the guy who draws double teams and deep safeties and opens things up underneath for other players? That's Robbie Anderson. I would take Robbie Anderson over Eric Decker. The number two receiver that Mike McCagden inherited was Percy Harvin. Now he's got Quincy Inunua. and Unwa. We'll, and we'll give both guys credit for that. Because Isaac drafted Inunwa. Granted, he drafted Jalen Saunders first, and then he drafted Shaq Evans. Um, so Quincy was his third choice at receiver. But he still drafted him. McCagden re signed him. This, this, uh, late in this, late in the year again that's a re resign and that's that you know again Robbie Anderson I would take him over Decker he does more or I shouldn't say he does more he has a bigger impact so I would take this group of receivers over that group and even you know what we'll call that a draw we'll say that's a draw cuz Decker did even though Decker was injury prone he did some things better than Anderson and it's drafted a new one. So we'll call that a draw. But now, tight end, Jeff Cumberland is the player Mike McCagney inherited. And now they've got the Jets have Chris Herndon, who already looks like he might be the best tight end they've had since Mickey Shuler. Like, that's, that's how good he's looked. And that's how bad the Jets have been at tight end for so long. So you've gone from Cumberland to Herndon. That's a clear upgrade. Offensive line this is the position right now that's hardest hit by the roster being at 39. It's not really a, it's hard to even compare it. You don't have a center. You don't have a left guard, but you know, again, what did McKagan inherit? He inherited the British Ferguson at the end of his career had a good year or two. Well, had an okay issue. I mean, I would venture to say right now, Kelvin Beecham is at the level the British Ferguson was at when, when Mike McKagan arrived. You had Odey Abouche at left guard, a broken-down Nick Mangold at center, uh, you know, what, 35, 34, 35, 36, however old he was, Willie Colon at right guard, and Breno Giacomini at right tackle. Disaster. So you figure Beecham is probably equivalent to, to, to Brick at this point. Left guard, center, don't know who those guys are going to be. Winters at this point in his career, probably better than what Willie Colon was then. Cologne was on the downside, obviously. And Brandon Shell clearly a better player than, than Breno Jacquemin. But that that is an area where Mike McCagney has to do better. He's got to go out and get some players. But now he's got to do it and, uh, a lot of policy to about. The only spot you could really say that, hands down, without a shadow of a doubt, was better was the D line. You had Mo Wilk, Damon Harris, and Sheldon Richardson. However, Mo Wilk went in the toilet once he got paid, Damon Harrison had to be let go to make room for Mo Wilk, and Sheldon Richardson regressed under Todd Bowles. He was never the same player he was under Rex Ryan, as did Mo Wilkerson, as did Tremaine Johnson, as did Spencer Long. A lot of, a lot of guys played worse football when, they, when, when Todd Bowles was in charge than when they played under other coaches. But now it's Leo and Nathan. Really, the D-line right now is so thin when you look at guys due to hit free agency. I mean, it's a bunch of guys who we've never really seen. To go along with Leonard Williams, Nathan Shepard. It's about it. A a cast of guys who don't have a lot of NFL reps. Now, if you re-sign Henry Anderson and you go with Leo, then... That obviously that obviously makes the group look a lot better. But we will say, you know, that defensive line they inherited they inherited a better line than he's got now. But then you look at the linebackers. Calvin Pace, he was at the end of his rope. He he, he wasn't a very good player. Demario Davis, he was at a position at that point. He was at that point playing the position Darren Lee plays now, and he can't play that position. And that's why he was so much better last year or two years ago now, when he was playing the role that David Harris played while he was here, while DeMario Davis was playing alongside David Harris, who was the other guy on the inside when Mike McCagnin arrived, another player who had a year or two left, you know, long in the tooth, and then Quentin Copos, who turned out to be garbage. So McCagnin inherits senior citizen Calvin Pace, out of position DeMario Davis, senior citizen David Harris, and uh, guy who didn't really like playing football all that much, Quentin Copos. Those were his linebackers. Now, Jordan Jenkins, young ascending player, as I said before, coming off career high seven sacks. Avery Williamson, you can almost say he's a wash with Davis. I mean, they're, they play at right about the same level. You just like Williamson because he's a younger guy, give you a little bit more quality play for the next few years. Less likely to be on the downside or you know uh, suffer some setbacks than Demario Davis. Darren Lee, Darren Lee is better, you know, going off of what he did this past season, is better in the role he's playing than when DeMario Davis was playing that role. Fans may not understand that with how you're talking about. They were both playing inside linebacker. But that's not the case now. When DeMario Davis was here under McKagan, he was here playing the role Darren Lee plays now. And DeMario Davis couldn't do that. And then we we went ahead and put Brandon Copeland in because that side of the uh, linebacker spot's a little bit. In flux. But Copeland versus Quentin Copels, i take Copeland. Quentin Copels didn't like playing football. So in at least three of those spots, if not all four, the Jets are better off than they were in 2014. And now the hilarious, this is right up there with comparing Geno to Sam Darnold. The secondary. Mike McCagnan inherited Calvin Pryor, who, by the way, is already out of the NFL a John Idzik first-round gem. Calvin Pryor, out of the NFL. The guy playing his role now, Marcus May. Now, there have been some injury issues, but from a pure talent standpoint, Marcus May is about a 1,000 times better than Calvin Pryor. The other safety, DeWan Landry. Mike McCagnon inherited Calvin Pryor and DeWan Landry. And that is now Marcus May and Jamal Adams. I mean, those might be the, that might be the single biggest upgrade from a group standpoint. And even if May doesn't go, even if it's Doug Middleton, anybody, every player, every safety on the Jets roster, put it that way, every single safety on the Jets roster, no matter who it is, no matter who you want to name, is a better player than Calvin Pryor. So whoever it is, is an upgrade. And then the Jamal Adams over DeJuan Landry. I mean, come on now. It's just silliness. You don't even talk about that. There's no reason to. Now, and then the last spot, which I, I literally – it's like you read these names and you, you, you remember they were on the team, but you can't believe these were, the, these were like the guys. These were their starting corners. We can complain – about Tremaine Johnson having a bad year and Morris Claiborne being inconsistent. But you're talking Morris Claiborne and Tremaine Johnson and Buster Screen in 2014 would have been this team's number one corner by a lot. Starting corners that Mike McKagan inherited. We'll just go through the the, the top five corners. Darren Walls. Antonio Allen, who was a safety slash linebacker in college, had to play corner for eight games on the Rex Ryan because John Itzik let the position get so depleted. Kyle Wilson, the finger wag man himself. Philip Adams who, if I'm not mistaken, was the only Jets corner to have an interception that year. And at the time, undrafted free agent, undrafted rookie free agent, Marcus Williams, off of the Houston Texans. I can't remember if it was practice squad or if they released him and then they signed him. Either way, either way, that that was the cornerback group that the New York Jets fielded in 2014. Darren Walls a converted safety linebacker, Antonio Allen, Kyle Wilson, Phillip Adams, and Marcus Williams. Those were your corners. Now you've got a couple guys who have, you know, again, Tremaine Johnson struggled, but he had some picks. He made some plays, and hopefully that continues under Greg Williams now that he's back with him. Jamal Adams over DeWan Landry. Any safety on the roster, we'll say Marcus May, but any safety on the roster over Calvin Pryor, every one of those spots is a significant upgrade. Darren Lee is an upgrade over what Demario Davis was doing. Copeland's an upgrade over Coples. Williamson and, and Harris, I mean, at, th- at that point, 2014, David Harris didn't have a lot left in the tank. Avery Williamson right now is a better player than David Harris was back then at the end of his career. So that's another one. Jenkins over Pace. I would take Jenkins over Pace for what Pace was in 2014. That D line was better. That O line was better. Herndon is better than Cumberland. We'll call the receivers a wash. We'll give them the edge at running back in 14, but Le'Veon could be on the way. And that's the thing. And then then, then Sam Darnold over Geno Smith. All those spots, all those upgrades. And I got people saying, this is the same team he inherited. They're not any better off. Are you kidding me? Darren Walls and Calvin Pryor, starting players on your defense. And now you have Tremaine Johnson and Jamal Adams in those spots. Or Marcus May. Like I said, whoever you want, whatever name you want to throw out there. They might have some practice squad safeties right now who are better. Well, they'd be future contracts guys right now, but you know what I mean. That roster was so painfully bad. And then what'd they do? They added Brandon Marshall. They bring in Fitz as a backup. They had a nice first season. They tried to capitalize. It all fell apart. And then the rebuild starts. And I'm not, I'm not having that argument again. I keep hearing people, this is year five of his rebuild. How many years of a rebuild is there? Year one was a build. Year one was like, let's find some people who know how to play football, because John Edzik didn't leave us with any of those, and let's evaluate some of our players. And probably the worst thing that happened is guys played over their heads that year, and the Jets looked and said, maybe we're better than we thought. We can compete. We can contend. Ten wins. Let's, try it. let's go for it. Let's bring Fitz back, and let's try to make a run here. And it all came crashing down. And then they said, okay. We tried. We gotta tear this thing down and rebuild it. And this is off season number three of the actual rebuild. Actual rebuild. And as far as I'm concerned, people, it is heading the right direction. We got the quarterback in place. We got a game changer on defense in place. We got a tight end in place. How about for years I've been hearing Jets fans, when are, when are we gonna join the rest of the NFL and Get with the the, the, the the current trend of having a tight end that can catch a football. Well, now they've got one. They're on board. Hopefully they get another one this offseason. And again, this is a comparison of thirty nine players, ten practice squad versus a full roster. So yeah, naturally, there are gonna be some spots. I mean to be to be quite honest, and I might I might revisit this after the off season cuz that would have been a more apt time to do it i just it's something i've been meaning to do for a while and just about the thousandth person said it to me this roster any better under mcaggin than it was under idzik and i just said all right it's time to to look at it position by position player by player spot for spot and see where they're better off so clearly better off in many key spots and the draft around the corner, or sorry, the free agency around the corner, the draft not far behind, and that's when we'll fill it out, and hopefully we'll be able to say that this roster is better at receiver and better on the offensive line. As Well, we'll have to wait to see how the D-line plays out, even if they get a guy like Quentin and Williams. That's and going to be interesting, folks. To trade down or not to trade down. It's I, I've, I've been on the trade down bandwagon all since... For a month now. But man, the more I watch a Quinn and Williams and the more I watch edge rushers in the the NFL get, get neutralized by quarterbacks who get rid of the ball so quickly, the more I think, man, give me give me that give me that guy who looks like Warren Sapp. I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun off season. As far as our schedule, uh we have not yet decided. We're actually we've contacted a couple of folks who, we're still working on a co-host. We know we know we need one. We want to I want to get one. It's, you know, it's good to have people to bounce ideas off of, but we want to find the right person, make sure there's some chemistry there. And uh, but it's, in terms of our schedule, we may we may play it by ear. We may drop some episodes unannounced as free agency unfolds if there are big names, big happenings, big rumors, even we we may do a 15-minute episode It might just be, hey, the Jets signed this guy today. Let's talk about what this means and talk about some of the other names that are rumored at that time. Something like that. Not every episode will be a full episode. Uh, Went a little bit long tonight on purpose because there was a lot to cover. But thank you so much for tuning in. We do appreciate it. And we will be back maybe before next week. Maybe a few days from now when when the signings start rolling in. We might pop in and and cover that. But we uh, buckle up, Jets fans. It's about to be a whole lot of fun. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you soon.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!